television! Teacher! Mother! Secret lover. Watching television, watching television. Watching television, watching television. Hey there folks in TV land, don't touch that dial and don't change the channel, you're tuned in to the right podcast station, this is the new show on the Manga Mavericks podcast network called Manga Mavericks on TV, which will be devoted to covering television shows that are not anime, because we do that in Manga Mavericks and anime. This is another occasional show in that vein, tailored to the particular medium and content we are discussing. Actually, this isn't even the first time we've done an on-TV episode, though this is the first podcast we've released on the feed. But we have some on-TV-like episodes on our YouTube channel, like our review of Castlevania Season 1, and we even have unreleased, unedited episodes that you can find on our Patreon in our bonus podcast slash bloopers folder at that tier, like Orange is the New Black Season 5 and Voltron Season 3. So if you want to listen to podcasts we recorded years ago about then recent seasons, now far out of date, then you can head on there. But actually, we are starting up on TV on this network because we got a great opportunity recently to review the first four episodes of Apple TV's new show, Central Park, which is coming out on the 29th. We got to see him a couple weeks early. And as we are fans of Bob's Burgers and in general, the shows that Lauren Bouchard has made. We were very excited to check the show out and share our thoughts on it. This is a generally spoiler-free review. I don't give too much away, I think, about the details of every episode. Of course, we do talk about the characters and the general, very basic premise of the show and some things that happen in it. So if those count as spoilers to you, then sure, be advised that some of that discussion is coming up. But in general, this is a pretty spoiler-free overview of the series, what it's like, what makes it special, and why we think it is worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of previous Lauren Bouchard shows like Home Movies and Bob's Burgers. But that does it for this intro segment, so after these messages, we'll be right back with our review of the first four episodes of Central Park. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I love mornings in the park, the light through the trees, the birds and the squirrels. It's Central Park, it's a haven, it's a jewel. A park that's so central The name's not that clever But 
Central Park. It's a new show on Apple TV. Central Park by one of the co-creators of home movies. Central Park made by 20th Century Fox. Central Park. It will blow your socks off. And as one of the characters say, you don't need socks anymore anyway. Central Park, it's a musical show for your homestay. Central Park, we watched it together. Central Park, we're reviewing it forever. No, at least just today. The special preview sneak peek. And Relord has ruined the intro by not singing along with me. Why? Well, I, I didn't know you were going to sing. Relord, come on. We gotta review it while we can together. We got to talk about the show while we can. We gotta review it while we can together. The embargo is imminent. I, I guess it is, so... At the time of recording this, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, the embargo will be over, which is why you're listening to it. Yeah, yes. otherwise we would get in trouble <laughs> with Apple. We'll get in trouble. Apple would hunt us down. Yeah. <laughs> feed us to the dogs. We, there would be severe penalties. Yeah. But yes, we're talking about Central Park. As they advertise, it is from the creator of Bob's Burgers. Specifically, it's from Lauren Bouchard, Nora Smith, and Josh Gad. Josh Gad is involved in Bob's Burgers, but he's one of the co-creators, and he's also one of the main characters on the show, Birdie, who is an interesting character we'll get into. But yeah, it's like a combination of all these creative minds coming together, and we got to see it. Uh, The first four episodes of its 26-episode order, Apple TV ordered two seasons of this show, so there's going to be a lot coming, and based on these first four episodes, I think there's a lot to look forward to because they are setting up a story with this one. This has a more serialized format where the consequences of one episode bleed into the next. There's an ongoing plot line that's not too rare for shows these days, but it was a surprise and also a surprise. And this was the main thing that stuck out to you, Wheelard, I think. Like, when you first start watching it, was that, oh, this show is a musical, which shouldn't be too much of a surprise, like, knowing there'd be a musical element. Because this is from, again, Lauren Bouchard, who, again, traced back his career from home movies. And since then, like, every one of his shows has had, like, a musical feature in it. Bob's Burgers is famous for, like, their musical numbers, for their outros especially, having, like, a unique song and animation to accompany it. But this goes so much beyond. Yeah, it really does. Like... I, over the past few months, have been watching all of Bob's Burgers, (laughs) and I finally caught up a few weeks ago, and yeah, seeing all the different, like, creative ways, like, Bouchard and his team have, like, created all these interesting, like, musical numbers and, like, cool, like, dancing sequences and all that, it's all just so amazing. So, uh, to see it, like, go, like, one step further in Central Park and just make... The entire show really kind of revolve around it to an extent. Like, it's definitely like a more constant aspect of Central Park than it is Bob's Burgers, but it feels like very cohesive in a way. 
Like, uh, I've met, I probably mentioned my distaste of Bollywood films in the past (laughs) and how, like, it always feels like the songs and dance are forced into the narrative rather than feeling cohesive to the narrative. And Central Park doesn't have that issue. It feels like it all naturally flows together and they make the narratives in a way that kind of makes it feel natural for there to be a song or like a dance sequence or something. Yeah, it's fairly diegetic in the sense that it is all based around the emotions of the characters and oftentimes it is an integral part of pushing the narrative forward. Like the story is told through these song numbers. They aren't just like interludes. And that was something I was wondering about, worried about a little bit early on, but consistently the show surprised me and how it would explore a character's emotions and then use reprises to kind of hammer home the central theme of its episodes and also kind of connect different emotions the characters are experiencing. In the first episode in particular, there is this musical number called Own It, in which we start off with our main character Owen singing it about how he is very disappointed that no one else is interested in these turtle head flowers that he cares about, but he decides to like own his embrace of the park and then we move around to see other characters also embrace this idea of owning their own particular interests or own particular passions and it's really interesting kind of the different ways that they write the characters latching onto this concept of owning who they are and what they're all about for me the funniest moment in the sequence was when the main antagonist's assistant helen start singing and what i love about this is that the prompt for her to start singing about how she quote-unquote owns it is that like bitsy the main antagonist asks her hey can you hold this teacup and that's what prompts her to start singing about how she's gonna own it and how she's going to (laughs) inherit old bitsy's fortune when she dies and how she (laughs) explains like why she hated a champagne Bitsy's dog and why she schemed to get rid of it so she could be the only one to inherit the fortune. Yeah, when I, when I first was watching that, I was like, oh shit, we're going there. We're really going there. This lady ate some smithers. She's, oh, no. Damn, she's not out for blood. She very much resents her boss. I love during this entire part of her singing, though. Like, Bitsy is just looking at her and she's holding him. She's like, what's going on she's like shrugging she's like gestrin she because it's like in this moment it seems like i there are in when these songs are happening it's generally unclear if like characters are actually in this world singing these songs how aware they are because sometimes you know characters can sing these songs but it doesn't seem like everyone around them really notices this is one of those moments where i'm not sure bitsy or the rest of the people in this like meeting this press conference know that she is singing this is like i think an internal monologue expressed through her singing a song but it's still very funny that it still implies that there's like this pause where she is clearly just thinking of this to herself at the very least and so but she's just like wondering what are you doing just go make this teacup <laughs> yeah that was, that's one interesting thing about the musical numbers that it is sometimes hard to tell, like, wh- how, what exactly is the passage of time? Because I remember the one song with uh, Molly, 
in like her like folk episode about like weirdos making uh cool superheroes. Yeah, that I think definitely is like an imaginary thing. I don't think yeah. that happened in the world because I don't think other kids sang along with that for sure. I'm pretty sure this that was all internal express. Or Molly is Dio and can stop time. I mean, she wants to be a superhero, so she wants superpowers, but actually, with her power to turn back the clock five seconds, to rewind time five that's seconds. That's more like Ringo Road again. Exactly. So I think that's who she's aspiring to be. I think we should formally introduce the cast of this show. So the uh, main cast of Central Park follows the Tillerman family. Which is a family of four. It involves the manager of Central Park, Owen Tillerman, who, you know, it's kind of a similar character to Bob from Osburgers in that he really likes his job, including all the minutiae other people don't care about. So there are things that he's invested in and he cares about that other characters aren't really that passionate about or don't really understand. And so he can get kind of caught up on the details in that way. A big example of this is in the second episode where basically he has kind of this conflict with the skater because he believes this skater doesn't respect the park with how they're skating around and damaging the flowers or whatnot. And then the matriarch of the family is... Paige. Paige is a news reporter. She basically kind of gets her first big break in the first episode when she reports on our main antagonist, Missy's dog going missing. And then, like, the rest of the episodes in the show kind of focus on her, like, really trying to get, like, big breaks and also kind of unravel the mystery about what's going on with the park and its conflict with kind of the public sector. Or the local government, let's say. We've got the kids. Molly is like kind of the most emphasized insofar that Kristen Bell is kind of like first in the credits because she's the biggest name. And so Molly is someone who like really loves drawing comics. So Molly imagines herself as a hero called Fistapups. And she basically, like, fights with her hair turning to, like, fists that she punches people with. But she uses this comic to kind of work through kind of her awkward emotions, like her desire to kind of fit in with the people around her. She feels kind of socially isolated. But also, she has these budding feelings for this boy she really likes, who she sees in the park very often, like, flying a kite called Brendan. And she writes Brendan into the comic as, like, her kind of fellow superhero and kind of explores ideas with that character like of wanting to kiss him and stuff like that and like it's kind of a way just to explore her feelings and I, what i really like about a lot of uh this motif this exploration with this character is that they use these comic book sequences like to explore a different style like where we have like these sequences that are you know, her comic animated. And I like that the show experiments with different styles like this because it very much feels like you're seeing like a black and white middle grade comic kind of being brought to life animated. It's a departure from the show's regular style, but I like these asides and this experimentation. And the show does experiment with like different like styles often in like its fantasy interludes. 
Yeah, it really does. I think one big thing about the animation in general, though, is that it's so fluid. Like, Oh, yeah. Unnaturally so for a show that you'd expect from, like, a Fox production. I don't know about unnaturally so, but definitely there is a lot of care in the character animation. It is, you know, very, very fluid. Definitely. Like, even the backgrounds, you'll see just idle animations, people, like, oh, yeah. walking and just strolling, like... That's stuff that you'll never see in, like, Family Guy or Bob's Burgers. Like, I wouldn't say that, but I do think that because this show, you know, is being set in Central Park, like, they have to make the environment feel authentic. And Central Park is a place populated with a lot of people. And Central Park is also a place that has a lot of different various locations inside of it. It's like an incredible place to set a show in because there's so much variety there and i think that's another aspect i really love about the show and its ambitiousness is that it is not just content to like stay in the same place it goes to different locations very often and that is a departure from what you would generally find in a lot of animated sitcoms is that they will set themselves in generally a few set locations where the characters will like talk and have banter and what's noticeable even in this show is that even when characters are having banter, there is a lot more movement than just mouth flap movement or just, you know, basic tween movements or like arms raising, heads bobbing, you know, those kind of things. There's more elaborate character animation going on, more expressive character acting. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's important that you like, uh, mention kind of the singular place kind of motif of a lot of animated sitcoms because like, like you said... Sure, they have, like, a house um, in Central Park and everything, but, like, yeah. a lot of the scenes aren't actually there. They're mostly outside or in, like, different scenarios. Like, in the four episodes we saw, like, there were at least, like, several new areas that they show off yeah. in the show. Like, a lot it's of these new areas concept. are within the park itself, which is really interesting. <laughs> I mean, and truthfully, like, Central Park is such a big place that you can have that much variety just... In that setting, it's, it's really an interesting playground to tell stories in. And I think the show has chosen an interesting conflict to also go up against. And this idea of like, hey, this is a place that provides so much to a lot of people. It's like a real wonderground, a real place that can build a community that a lot of people rely on in their daily lives or maybe take for granted. And that is being threatened for selfish capitalist interests but before we get ahead of ourselves we, there is one member of the family we haven't talked about yet that's cole to Lemon. that's the utter one of their kids and his main thing is that he really likes animals and that kind of spurs on the plot of the first episode in which our main antagonist bitsy who is like a hotel owner and harris like, her dog, uh, Champagne, goes missing in the park. And Champagne is found by Cole, and Cole falls in love with it. But ultimately, he is convinced by Owen to return it to Bitsy. But that is basically Cole's whole deal during the show, is that Cole really loves animals. Champagne, in particular, and wants to reconnect with Champagne. In general, he has a soft spot for animals because he has a conflict with his mom about, you know, not killing rats later on in the show. So that seems to be his main 
aspect and in Central Park where there are a lot of animals there, you know, I think that's going to provide ample opportunities to have that being explored in different ways. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think among the main cast, though, Cole might be my least favorite character so far. I would say so. I think that he falls into this kind of like oblivious brashness in the same way as Gene from Bob's Burgers. Yeah, the thing with Gene is like, Gene also kind of just started off as a one kind of no yeah. character, and then he grew a personality over time. Yeah, but he reminds me of season one Gene. I also have revisited like early Bob's Burgers recently, and he definitely reminds me of like, especially with a lot of the scatological obsession that the character has. Like in the first episode, he sings about how he's going to pick up uh, Champagne's poo. Like, he call me Mr. Baghands. That's such a gene thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, one thing I will say is that overall, I think the cast is characterized a lot stronger than the early episodes of Bob's Burgers. Oh, like, I think that it, there's no comparison. Like, this show yeah. has its voice, like, down path from the very start. It opens with an incredible musical number explaining what the show is all about, and it's amazing. Yeah, like, I really love the... The street performer. I forget his name. So the street performer is played by Josh Gad, and his name is Birdie. And he has a really interesting presence in the show because he exists within the universe but also outside it because he can also serve as an omniscient narrator. Like, he knows everything that's going on with all of these different characters in the story. And yet he interacts with the characters in the story, especially in owen related plots he seems to be a friend of his and it's not like he is someone only owen can see or interact with because he interacts with other characters like other incidental characters who listen to him like perform in the street because his whole thing is that he's you know a musical performer in the park just a street performer yeah i love the logic to it how he knows all of it is that he's literally just watching them like in his free time like yeah he's just like staring at the house Mm -hmm. Like, it, he, it's so amazing. He's a good vehicle for diegetic music with his violin, too. Like, there's a moment at the end of the first episode where you pan out to see that he was the one playing the violin this whole time during this, like, final song sequence, and that's a really interesting touch. But it definitely strains, like, believability that he knows so much. Like, he definitely seems, like, removed from the rest of the characters and the fact that he is omniscient and knows so much one thing that this does make me wonder though is that what if he's the one who's creating all the musical numbers when he's like telling the story well i mean he definitely is playing like actual music during some of them like we've seen just in these first couple episodes so far but i don't know about all the musical numbers like what if he's just dramatizing the story to make it I like mean, that. that could be an interesting framing that he's, like, retelling this story that has already happened to the audience. But I don't know if that's what they're going for, because he seems to exist in the present, in the world. But again, he has knowledge as if things are already happening that he's just aware of. Like, he can come in between scenes and move us to the next scene. And he's speaking directly to the audience. And, like, addressing, like, what their wants or concerns are. Like, there's this particular sequence that stuck out to me in the second episode where Owen is having this conflict with the skater 
Glorious Gary, I believe was his name. I think skater. so, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we have like kind of a falling out between Owen and Gary. And then we cut back to Birdie and he's like, well, that didn't go well. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> and so he prompts a scene change. Like he is guiding the audience. He is like kind of a director of what is going on. So I guess like he's in control of the framing of the story, but not what goes on in the story. I think that's the best way to put it. Like he's just someone who is aware of the fourth wall and can address the audience and the fourth wall directly without the other characters like noticing that. Yeah. And I think that kind of logic, you know, can still also be applied to when characters are like going on these huge musical numbers that seem to affect the world around them, but are not actually in the world, like being noticed by other characters or actually being performed like in the world diegetically. But on the subject of Bitsy, we kind of have not really gone into our main antagonist yet. So continuing the Bosberger's tradition of having female characters being played by male voice actors, it seems like Stanley Tushi is uh, Bitsy Branenham. And so that's kind of an interesting casting. Stanley Tucci is, of course, you know, a, a clean veteran actor. But I think, like, the most significant, like, voice acting role, at least I've seen him in, was Herb and Bojack Horseman. It was interesting casting for sure, but he really can play, like, a believably, like, elderly, effeminate character. And his performance is truly top-notch. But also a great credit is the V. Diggs as Helen, which is, like, very much an unexpected performance, but also pretty wonderful. He has a recurring role on Blackish and uh, several other, you know, big uh, shows. I think, like, uh, an interesting thing that he'll be playing coming up is Sebastian in the live-action Little Mermaid. But, yeah, I think that these antagonists are very interesting. I mean, Bitsy's whole deal and the central conflict of Central Park is that Bitsy is, you know, this wealthy Harris, but she has been disrespected and looked down upon all her life, so she's become a misanthrope. And she just wants to lord her wealth and power over people and take away, like, something. Thing that brings them joy and they care about essentially which is why she wants to buy central park and basically turn it into a series of building complexes basically make it like a commerce center yeah essentially i think she joked about putting some restaurant somewhere like some big name restaurant like an applebee's or something but that's the worst restaurant. Yeah, exactly. She, it was a bad, <laughs> big name restaurant that she wanted to put in the park. Like, she wanted to completely buy it out and remodel it. And so she has, like, this scheme, like, where she's literally in bed with the mayor, <laughs> who's played by John Benjamin. I love so. that so much. Yeah. The moment he spoke, I'm like, oh my god, it's Bob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got a little crossover in there. Yeah, I mean, John Benjamin recurring voice on Lauren Bouchard shows. So. I mean, Coach McGurk, Bob. Yeah. Mayor. Yeah. Adding. What are we going to have a, what are we going to have a triple crossover with all of them? 
that's going to be hard. I don't know if they'll be able to do that. Like, I'm pretty sure that Central Park doesn't exist in the world of Bob's Burgers, from what I've heard. So We'll make it work. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, at the very least, they can do, like, what Archer did and kind of have, like, a sort of crossover (laughs) in which the characters... Yeah, you know, in which characters show up, which are very clearly, you know, characters from the other show, but not really. So we could see something like that, maybe. There could be a cute little nod to it. But will Coach McGurk be able to sing his racing song? (laughs) Uh, I mean, that would fit into the world of this, I think. And I'll race until I die. And I'll (laughs) race with the other (laughs) racers. And I'll race with one more (laughs) shot. And I'll race. And I'll race. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, John Benjamin's amazing. Yeah. So, Bitsy's also the owner of this hotel. And there seems to be, in the last of these episodes that we watched, some setup of like I guess lingering. One of the rooms feelings. is haunted. Potentially haunted. Like there are lingering, I think, traumas involving her father. She is going to probably explore as the show uh, progresses. Like that is one of the big things mentioned. Is I guess three people in particular that really messed her up in her childhood: her brother, her father, and her nanny. Mm. Yeah, so I'm assuming since this has more of a narrative than, like, other Bouchard shows, that's definitely going to be addressed. Mm. Also, the Brendan, the kid. Right, that's another important detail is that Brendan turns out to be her nephew, basically. Yes, so that, that'll be fun when that's, uh... Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, like, <laughs> gonna make the relationship between... Molly and Brendan, like, very integral, I think, to kind of how the situation resolves. Because with Brendan, they kind of have an in with Bitsy. But we don't really know what Bitsy and Brendan's relationship is like, either. Yeah, it also makes me wonder, like, why Bitsy doesn't interact with that side of her family, then? Because I guess it's under the assumption that if, like, Bitsy dies, Helen would get everything. Yeah, I mean, Bitsy seemingly is not married, nor has she had children. There's no mention of that at least so far. So the assumption is that she might leave it all to champagne because she dotes on champagne so much. But, you know, Helen is not having any of that. So Helen is even to be the only one left in Bitsy's life. So she'll get the inheritance. I think there's a very interesting scene in the third episode where Helen, like, encounters, like, another like person who used to be the maid to another like big Harris who has now inherited that Harris's fortune and has become like socialite herself and she advises Helen hey where there's a will there's a way just make sure there's a will (laughs) (laughs) no I think it was like just make sure you're in the will (laughs) yeah just make sure you're in the will <laughs> like oh, very okay. good, very good turn to phrase and puns in this show. I will say. Oh yeah, well, one other great thing about the episode was like the food fight. Yeah, yeah. Where I think were they singing like the park is mine or whatever? That's the musical number. Yeah, during the food and fight. there's that one character that just keeps hitting the high note. Yeah. Oh, I mean, characters hit the high note all the time. Like the cast has amazing range. Like they got really incredibly talented singers. Yeah, they really do. I think, like, obviously, going into it, they 
made sure that, yeah, they could really hit those, like, amazing ranges. But it's still, like, extremely impressive. Like, mm. the musical numbers in, like, Bob's Burgers and Home Movies are fantastic. But these are, like, on a whole nother level. Like, even from the opening sequence and the musical number there, like, you're just immediately, like, put onto a pedestal. Like, this is the quality of show that you're going to get. Yeah, they have an amazing team of songwriters and musical producers that vary episode to episode, but we include the likes of Kate Anderson, Alyssa Sansell, Sarah Barrielles, Brent Snoff, Cindy Lauper, like a ton, a ton of people are contributing their musical talents and writing the lyrics of these songs. So, like, they assembled, like, people who know their stuff. And the cast themselves, all of them pretty much have, like, theater experience. Experience with musical theater. Honestly, it kind of boggles my mind that Fox initially shelved this, like, project. Yeah, I, I mean, they really missed out, I think, on, like, airing, like, a show that could have really turned heads on their network. Like... This is a very, very special show, but perhaps because it is so ambitious as well, yeah, I that think, would have been a little costly, I think, for them in their mind. I think that was the fear, probably, that this is clearly like a huge effort to make, mm-hmm. and if it fails, then you're going to have some big losses. Especially considering Fox's financial troubles back then, the whole reason why they were selling to Disney. yeah. But I'm I'm not surprised like that there was a bidding war for this show. Yeah, because like it, it's really good. Services wanted it, and eventually uh, Apple bought it out. Maybe yeah. Apple had the most money to throw around. So I'm hoping that it gets attention on Apple TV. I really have not heard a whole lot about Apple TV shows, but maybe this will be it. Maybe this is the one that'll grab people. Maybe this is the one that'll turn attention to the service. I mean. I really love the show. I've watched the episode several times, you know, in preparation to do this podcast, in preparation to maybe write about it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when this was announced, that's what got my attention towards Apple TV. Like, I was familiar with the service, obviously, but, like, that was when I was really like, huh, maybe I'm going to have to get Apple TV to watch this. Yeah, I mean, they have Snoopy in space, which is, like, the only other show that I really knew about. And they also have Mythic Quest, which is, a. Uh, I know the, the lead in that one is one of the main characters in Sunny in Philadelphia. Interesting. Yeah, it's the character that plays Mac. Okay. But yeah, I mean, this is a really good pickup on Apple's part, I think. If you are interested in the show, or you love Bob's Burgers and home movies, I would highly recommend... At least maybe at least getting like a free trial to Apple TV when it comes out and watch it. Because mm-hmm. I'd say it's worth it. I would definitely recommend at least a free trial. I don't know if they drop all the episodes at once or not, but... I believe they are planning to. That's okay. what they seem to do for most of their shows, but maybe not. I know there are a few shows that they do weekly releases for, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not sure if they've... uh clearly mapped out a release plan for Central Park, so I don't want to, like, quote anything. Yeah, and interest in time permitting, I'd love to return and watch more of the show. Yeah. If we have access to it. Yeah, if we are able to, I would definitely love to talk about uh, 
5 through 13, for sure. Yeah, or I'm sure they'll only drop the first 13 once if they do that and yeah. <laughs> drop 26 all at once. But, you know, I, a lot of talented people have been working on the show. I've heard about, you know, the work on the show for quite a while, about a year now, I think, since, like, the first trailer dropped. So, you know, I've been looking forward to it and seeing it come out, and it really, really stands out as one of the most impressive new animated shows in the last few years. I mean, there's been amazing, amazing shows yeah. coming out, but this seems very, very special. This is up there. Like, I had high expectations because I was right off my Bob's Burgers high, and then I watched this and I'm like, wow. Yeah, I'm just blown away. Yeah, I mean, to speak again to the ambitiousness of it, you know, there are at least five musical numbers in every episode. And these count reprises, but these reprises have different musical arrangements, so they should count as new songs altogether. And yeah, I mean, that just speaks to like how insanely produced the show is. They also aren't short numbers either. They're fairly lengthy. Yeah. At least a couple minutes, at least one minute each. Yeah. And that takes an insane amount of effort, not only to write, you know, both the lyrics and the musical arrangement, but to animate the storyboard, to figure out, like, the composition, what's going on. Like, I'm consistently impressed that they are able to imaginatively bring these moments to life in such creative ways. Honestly, I would love to see like a behind the scenes video on the production of the show. That just incredible. to see like how like intricate the process was to even make this. Mm-hmm. Because I mean there is not a lot of conservative animation or reusing of assets in this show. Like this has a lot of new, very expressive character animation. In every scene, pretty much. Yeah, I definitely agree. And these songs, like, even though we're so early on the show, like, they are brimming with emotion. Like, it really does remind me a lot of, like, a traditional Broadway musical-type sensation you get from these songs. You get from the way that the characters belt out these lyrics. Like... They really hit me. Like, the Central Park song really fills you with wonder. I described this to you, V-Lord, but to me, that's an opening number. It felt like the opening to a Disney film. Yeah, it It felt like the opening to Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) It really does. It kind of really sets the tone that you're in for a musical adventure all about celebrating the wonders of this park and what it brings to the community and how it brings people together, which I think is the central theme of the show. That is this melting pot of all these different people who have like different interests. But, you know, this is a place where they can all congregate and harmoniously have fun. Yeah, it really is. And I think like it definitely encapsulates that like all throughout the music and just kind of the tone of the show. Which is really great because, like, I can't think of a sitcom or an animated sitcom that really kind of has this much personality right out of the gate and has, like, such a good idea of what its identity is. Mm-hmm. It's at least rare yeah, to find a show that has so clearly owned its voice, found its voice so immediately. I guess before we close out the show, 
I just want to throw out this question to you of what was your favorite musical number in these first couple episodes? Oof, that's tough. For me, I really responded to the closing song of the second episode, Do It While We Can. I don't know if that's the official title, but that's like the kind of chorus refrain that gets repeated. But I might have to go with that one too. Like, Not only because the music there is just fantastic, but also the animation. Oh, yeah, the animation the of different skating moves is inc- really, really impressive. Like, yeah. Really, really fun. But, like, the musical arrangement, I don't know, there's something about it. It just really clicks with me and is very suiting. But also, lyrically, like, I mean, a lot of the lyrics are just describing different skate moves. But, like, the chorus part of it... We gotta do it while we can. There's no time to waste, so take my hand. Yeah, it gets stuck in your head, I feel, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I definitely love that one a lot. I think also, you know, because of the context of the song, like, there's some extra poignancy to it because it comes at a moment where the characters stand to lose everything. They stand to lose what they love but you know they have this blissful moment where they don't know what's coming and so it's kind of ironic that they're thinking about you know hey we got to enjoy this moment take advantage of this moment while we can and just embrace it savor the day yeah because i think that's so touching because truthfully you know you should really take every moment in stride like every like blissful moment that you can spend time with people and just enjoy your company and you know have fun because some you might not have a lot of opportunities to do that again or you might not have be able to do that for much longer and like i'm sure in this show like everything is gonna work out ultimately i'm sure by the time that we get to the end of this big conflict with bitsy we'll have a big reprise of central park the opening number where everyone will come together and sing about how much they love this place. But will Bitsy sing? (laughs) I feel like that's gotta happen. I mean, Stanley Tucci does a great job singing in these first couple episodes. Like, he's got some great numbers. That is a fair point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see, like, where the series is gonna go from here, from, like, episode four onwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like, again... I feel like I know what kind of direction it takes. I mean, I can't imagine that Central Park is going to permanently, genuinely be bought out and sold by the city to a hotel tycoon. They're going to have to fight the evil masterminds of Applebee's. Oh, no. I don't even think it's Applebee's. I think it might have been a Chili's 2 or something. It was just some restaurant. I'm curious which restaurant it was. I guess, you know, I don't know why I don't remember it. It's just such a... <laughs> Maybe it was IHOP? It wasn't IHOP. I'm pretty sure it wasn't IHOP. Olive Garden? Not Olive Garden. Because Olive Garden's terrible. Yeah, but it wasn't Olive Garden. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Olive Garden. So I thought it was, like, maybe an intentionally terrible restaurant. It was an intentionally terrible restaurant, but, like, I... I mean, you know, in our opinion, you know, you know, probably some people might like whatever restaurant... <laughs> we're talking about fair enough that restaurant we kept forgetting about by the way was actually a tgi fridays it's no wonder we didn't remember the name because 
that is definitely the most forgettable of those classic Americana kind of restaurants. Bitsy also mentioned that she wanted to build a Gap and a Dunkin' Donuts, so very on brand, very much the whitest businesses you can think of. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we got to watch these episodes early, though. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. we were able to describe, at least in part, a lot of what the show is going for it and its appeal and, like, why you should definitely watch it if you get the chance to. And I think we managed to do that without too many big spoilers about, like, the plots of the episodes or, you know, big character moments. I Honestly, guess. I feel like this is also one of those shows where you really have to just watch for yourself to really take it in. Yeah, I mean... I think that the only way to truly, you know, get how good the show is is to watch it, of course. I yeah. Mean, I think you could say about any show, but like... You gotta see it to believe it, really. I would say that if you are someone who really, really loves Bob's Burgers and really loved all the shows that this creative team has made, and I'm not just talking about, you know, Lauren Bouchard and Nora Smith, but like... I'm talking about, you know, just anyone in the cast. I think you will be very, very happy with the work they have done on this show. Because this is really top-notch on all aspects in terms of acting, songwriting, and animation. 100% agreed there. Like backgrounds are beautiful we didn't talk about the backgrounds but i mean they really bring like kind of the beautiful foliage of central park to life and oh even God, like when yes. they're illustrating like the garbage it's like <laughs> really well drawn <laughs> really yeah oh god the garbage episode <laughs> really true to life <laughs> oh yeah th- this is such a fantastic show thank you again to apple tv for letting us watch this early mm-hmm and perhaps we'll have opportunities to watch more shows like this early, report on them to you. This is going to probably be a recurring, occasional, new spin-off pod, I guess. Manga Mavericks on TV. Have we done any Manga Mavericks on TV before? We have, actually. Well, I guess Ancient Mags says probably like ages ago. No, no, not even that. I'm talking about castlevania season one. Oh yeah and podcasts i don't think we've ever released like orange is the new black wait was that never released i don't think i ever released that episode recorded about orange is the new black season five i never finished orange is the new black either neither have i actually but i think i included that as like an extra people can listen to on patreon if they pledge at the tier that gets you access to like the bloopers and unreleased podcasts so if you want to listen to that you can go to that you can go to our patreon and listen to that listen up us talk about orange is the new black season five <laughs> a bit out of date at this point like four years out of date yeah. oh my god but yeah <sighs> until the next time that we have this opportunity until the next time where we can do it together. We gotta all take each other. <laughs> when the show's out, clearly we need to have you sing all the songs from the show. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. There's a lot of really fun songs in this show. 
But I think we'll close out the episode now. Let us know where you folks can find us. Until the next time, we can talk about really awesome shows like this again. Give you guys a sneak peek or just our thoughts on them. And V-Lord, would you like to tell people where they can find you? Yes, people can find me on Twitter at VLordGTZ. I'm usually on there just talking about whatever I'm doing, which is usually reading manga, writing reviews, and not sleeping. But aside from there, you can find my manga reviews over on all-comic.com, as well as my more Tanami and anime-focused reviews over on TanamiFaithful.com. So check out both of those places. But aside from that, you can also... Find me on the Demon Slayer Podcast, which can be found on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and on the Tanami Faithful website itself at tanamifaithful.com slash Podcast. And we cover basically everything about Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, the anime, the manga, everything in between so if you're interested in demon slayer check us out we're on basically every streaming platform at this point spotify anchor apple Podcasts, you name it we're there so just look us up subscribe and listen to our episodes definitely do that look forward to all the stuff we lord does very awesome but if you want to find more episodes of Manga Mavericks and our various spin-off related podcasts. You can find Manga Mavericks at Manga underscore Mavericks on Twitter, on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com Our YouTube channel, YouTube.c slash Manga Mavericks and on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, we're there. We're also, of course, on allnashcomic.com, where you can also find my manga reviews, and we've got a lot of books coming in, and we've got a lot of reviews going out. We got even more books today. Indeed we did, so you look forward to more reviews on the site. And also, to take a brief aside to find where you can find me, you can find me on Twitter at LumLumLumYasha, and basically anywhere else by LumLumLumYasha, where there's a LumLumLumYasha, that's where you can find me. And you can also find my art on my Instagram and my art Twitter, at SidArtworks, Sid with two Ds, so yeah. You could look at my art uh, on there. I post like whatever I've been drawing lately. But yeah, check that out. But you know, if you have more thoughts on the show, like if you have thoughts on Central Park, questions for us, suggestions for us that you want us to potentially review, you can send that feedback our way to mangamerics at gmail.com. And we love hearing you guys' feedback and taking you guys' suggestions. But if you want to support the show and get early access to podcasts like these first, you can head on to our Patreon, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We have a variety of tier options where you can pledge your support and help out the show while we're receiving some bonus content. We mentioned before there's a tier for receiving some bloopers and 
unreleased podcast that we've recorded, which I should probably update because we've been amassing even more bloopers in the time since starting the Patreon that I should probably upload on there. But our main big feature on the Patreon is our $5 here, which offers our monthly bonus podcast, which we release, of course, every month, like an exclusive podcast just for patrons only. And we have a, quite a few different types of bonus podcasts, from at movies, reviews, to manga fights, to one-off manga reviews. And currently, we have a project called the Manga Matters Book Club, where we have, you know, people go through a series a couple of volumes at a time, and right now, Colton, our co-host, and Doctor, uh, one of our good friends, is reading through Saint Seiya two volumes at a time, so you can check those out. Check out the read-through of Saint Seiya on our Patreon. And I'll look forward to some upcoming Patreon reviews of some really cool titles we have covered on that support and are now revisited. So yeah, uh, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash mavericks and all your support can really help us out and help us continue to do special podcasts like these and grow the show even more. But I think that about does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks on TV. And so, we will see you in the next one. And now, it's time to change the channel. What's a good ending catchphrase? Yeah, what else is on? Weirdos make great superheroes. Weirdos make great superheroes.